Hello and welcome to the Spagner Culture <laughs> Leadership Podcast. Today, we got this Aladi brothers. We got Moses. <laughs> we got Joseph. What's up, guys? How you guys doing? Great. It's a good Sunday. We are shifting. So our house is empty. And uh, yeah, we get to do a podcast in the middle of it. So life is always a great class. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, guys. So I met these brothers. How long was that ago now? Joseph like uh, DM'd me on Instagram. And um, when was that, Joseph? I think that was a couple months in COVID. Like a couple months in within COVID. Because I was definitely bored when I texted you. So in 2020? Yeah, I think so. And then that was the right, right thing to do. You know, because definitely I had a lot of fun after texting you. So I think 2020 or is it earlier? 2020. I don't know. I'm 2020 or 2021. Yeah, I think it was 2020 March because I remember, I remember this kid coming. I mean, this guy coming in our life before, like during COVID. Right? Things are not funny, and then things became funny. So I remember that. So I think it was COVID. <laughs> Yeah, I remember um, those days, okay? I remember I come to your house, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm going to come crash, right? And remember those days, <laughs> Moses would always do push-ups every like five minutes. That's <laughs> like <laughs> one of the things I remember, because I didn't know you had a brother, right? And I come in and Moses is huge, right? He's like big, tall dude. It's like, it looks like a bodyguard for somebody, you know? And he's always doing push-ups and eating really healthy. Do you remember that, Moses? Yeah. Those were the good days. <laughs> Those were the good days. Yeah, man. Dude, I just, you know, for everyone listening, I just have so much love for the Saladi brothers because I remember we became like fast friends. We like <laughs> fell Very in fast. love, you know, like that falling in love Very stage fast. where you meet people <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> and we did, we ended up doing some projects together. For some of you who don't know, you know, uh, our friend Moses here is the one that actually helped us design the bridge music shirt. He helped us design the bless God shirt. You know, he's like someone I go to for a lot of design, creative stuff. And then, you know, Joseph, he's like a genius when it comes to media, when it comes to like photography, videography, anything behind the lens. And, you know, I remember calling him and being like, hey, I need someone to come, you know, with me to like bridge music shoot and just capture images. He's like, yeah, bro, I'm in, you know? And then a few days later, I'm like, Hey Moses, we need a fashion designer. We need someone to dress the artist. And Moses is like, I'm in. And at that time, no one knew. I remember that meeting where like a bridge music leadership and people don't know Moses is like so young, right? You were like 18 at that point. Were you even 18? Yeah, I think I was 19. Yeah, he was 19. And so I remember, um, I don't know if someone brought it up during the meeting, but, <laughs> you know, he was so young. But I was like, yeah, man, because the reason I trusted, you know, um, just coming to the topic, the reason I trusted Moses and Joseph is because, like I saw, even though young, they were very serious about what they do. They were very serious about, you know, just uh, I would say excellence. They had an excellent spirit. 
and that's kind of where we come today because I got to know about their company that their mother started, um, about the work they do. I got to see the factory. I got to visit the women. Um, I got to see everything. And I know they have grown since then and they're doing way more things. But I wanted to kind of bring them on to just talk to them about their journey and about the the fashion industry because the industry they've chosen to make a difference in as creatives is not the easiest one. You know, there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of ethical things that happen in that space. So I wanted to actually ask you, Joseph, first, just to kind of share with me, like, what's your journey been like uh, as far as like ethical manufacturing goes, like um, being in the fashion industry, you know, what are the things that kind of piss you off? You would say, like, what are the things that you want to see change? Uh, what are the your experiences being in the industry? So, look, there's abuse in every industry, right? So you go down the rabbit hole, you can find fallout holes that lead you everywhere. However, if you look into the, if you look at the second largest polluter of the planet, that is the fashion industry, we need to realize that a lot goes into feeding this big, big monster that it is. So in, in all that goes into it, there are many levels and we can have a tendency of ignoring the ones on the lower levels. So that's where it's be- right. it becomes very easy. It becomes very convenient. It becomes, a bre- you know, using the sentence breathing down for abuse is, I don't think people understand what it means. I'm talking about the convenience of abusing people. The convenience of it. Because it doesn't really matter. You know, the clothes are being sold somewhere somewhere else. They don't know who's making it. It's, it, it's a system that works if we want to abuse people and make money out of it. Which, again, every, every culture has that. But fashion, the beautiful thing, or the, you know, however you want to look at it, it's, a, it's an industry that's generating so much and it can't stop generating that because humans with human behavior cannot stop expressing themselves so they will buy fashion you know they will buy clothes you know it's, it's something that is more to do with just protecting ourselves from winter or summer it's it's expression but they will do it now i really love that yeah 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 so that's the industry we're in actually we're in this industry of self-expression now you know, why I say that is because to let people know why people won't stop, why people won't stop. So we need to figure out real solutions to a real world problem. And as long as humans are alive, they're not going to stop fashion. So when I want to answer a question like this, because abuse is a very, very, very heavy word and we need to respect that word. I would only speak for my artisans that I've met, I've spoken, and these are their million thoughts. And Moses Masterji, the man that works with him, who's been in the industry for, I think, 25 years of his life as a Masterji. So he, he's, he, you know, as 13, 14, he started learning, he's, he's dedicated his life to his art. He told me his own words, the last place he was working, he was working with three, four boys under him, and he sent the boys to the boss to ask for their paycheck. And guess what the boss did? physically bet them. I am talking about physically hitting a person. Can you imagine that? So that was the reason he left the job. He told me, oh, I left the job. Why? I was afraid to be get, you know, to get beaten by the boss. Like, 
second story I would say is during COVID, a lady came to us and they missed me that Japan and they, she never had a job before. She was literally knocking through the businesses and that's how our master came at her and said, okay, come to Sunil, she can give you something. She worked really hard, so now she's part of our core team. However, her story when I met her after a few months of her working with us was, she, I asked her, how are you feeling here? You're new, it's your first job, how are you feeling? Very casually, she replied, oh yeah, this is the only place I haven't been molested yet. And I and mom were taken back by that answer because what, what took us back was the casualty of how she said it. Yeah, this is the only place I haven't been molested yet. And what that means is every other place she could have gone for a job could be a ground where molestation is casual, you know? So fashion, people are not going to stop by fashion, even though they might change the way they do it. They might pursue minimalism. They might pursue these various things that do help a bit here and there. But we need to understand that the fashion game is going to work and the solution might be finding sustainable materials. However, people are real who are making your stuff are real. You know, this might be a job for them, but they're people. And uh, the shift towards the place where at least there is recognition of these people, I think is very important because you remove recognition, you remove the need to validate and you remove the need to validate, you can easily abuse. So we want to find a very sweet spot between where we can talk about the product because that's very important. That's what people care about. But also find interesting ways to not use them as marketing, but somehow, you know, get the owner back. We're still learning how to do it, but that is where we are right now. It's amazing, man. I mean, I loved what you said about expression, how fashion is all about expression. And I'm excited to hear uh, Moses' thought on that. Um, and just like what he's seen in the industry and just uh, about the idea of expression, because actually when I think about expression, I think about Moses, you know, you know, this guy, like the way he expresses himself and the way that um, just like, you know, you know what I'm thinking about is the fur coat you know, and just the clothes and the way he just, um, you know, he expresses himself. I think he's like a perfect picture of the fashion industry, right? Of the, the idea that this is not going to stop. As humans, we're going to be one, you know, we're going to keep pursuing expression and you guys are serving and it's like a, and an industry that's going to be there. So how do we make sure that the way we get people to express themselves is not also harming the community? So yeah, Moses, I know you're passionate about expression and all that but for you what does it look like to do that in an ethical fashion you know yeah so fashion is definitely like one of the major aspects of it is the expression of yourself and as joseph said that uh, we don't see fashion like going anywhere anytime soon or ever you know people are always gonna consume fashion people are always want to uh, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, people are always going to want to look good and feel good. Um, but there is a way to do it sustainably. There's a way to do it ethically. And there's a way of doing it recklessly, carelessly, which most of the world does. So most of the world does if you actually look at the numbers, most of the consumers do not really care about, uh, and like either they don't care about it or either they don't know about the 
harmful or the negative impact of fashion about the clothes they consume. So I think there's a lot of awareness that needs to be created in this area that people, consumers really need to know, you know, where their clothes are coming from and how are they being made and how, what kind of impact is that having on them and on others and on the planet. So for me, uh, when I consume fashion, I would, I would consume fashion that is, has been recycled. For example, the fur coat that you have seen me wear, like I think two of my fur coats, I have bought them, that is I think a second hand or a third hand piece. So it is not a first hand thing that I've, you know, uh, bought for 10,000, like that is freshly cut and made for me. But what I'm doing is I'm using fashion that has already, already been created and it has been passed on from, you know, one person to another person. And the thing is that you still look good, you know. It's not like uh, if, if I'm going to wear second-hand clothes, I'm, I'm going to look bad. You know, nobody could really tell a difference between, like, if you were wearing a second-hand garment, no one could really know, you know, because... Um, most of the second-hand garments that I've seen in India, like uh, that, that you know, are donated from Hong Kong, from Korea, from U United States. So all these clothes are almost like in perfect condition, and some of them are actually very new, like they're almost like not worn. And I think uh, there has to be a lot of culture change, uh, like especially in the United States, because they are the highest consumers of fashion. So I think people need to understand, you know, where their fashion is coming from and what impact it has. And only then people would be able to, you know, make wiser decisions. And uh, the thing is, you can always, you know, if, if there, are, there are clothes that are being made and you can always, like, if I give you my clothes, you give me your clothes. I mean, it doesn't work maybe in our particular case because we don't have a, the same style, but there can there is a way of creating a cycle uh, a system in which uh, clothes that are made you know they just circulate in a way from you know one owner to another owner and in that process we are not creating new fashion but you know just using what we have so i mean that's the way to do it sustainably um, and i think to the people who are listening like i think people need to understand a bit about you know, I, I spoke about how consumers need to know about where your fashion is coming from. So the thing is that fashion, you know, as Joseph said, is the second largest polluter in the world. And that is because of uh, the way that the fabrics are processed. Um, there are, so it's, it's all about consumers wanting to, you know, have something now. It's about fast fashion. You know, fast fashion is the problem. If we switch to slow fashion and decide to express ourselves in that way then you know we are we won't be putting the planet at danger and we won't be putting people's lives at danger uh, because people are being exploited by their bosses because the bosses want them to you know uh, get the job done at you know very short deadlines and you know it's a very pressure centered workspace and there's abuse in that workspace there's exploitation in that workspace all of this is because the consumer wants the product and he wants it right now, you know. So I think there is a space for, you know, wanting to express yourself and doing it ethically and sustainably. 
So the answer would be to, you know, choose slow fashion and buy products that are, you know, uh, made by fair trade uh, manufacturers and buy products that are, you know, sustainably made. That way we are able to express ourselves, but at the same time, you know, we're not exploiting people or we're not damaging the environment. Yeah. So, as one said, recycling, there are a couple ways that people use slow fashion is one of them minimalism is one of them there's this other thing there's some brands that are coming up with just like five dresses they call it capsule system they're just five one top one pant whatever but the way they're designed is you can flip flop it and you can take out like 21 unique outfits out of it this is another unique thing but here the the main question comes is all these things can help how do we shift such a big monster called the fashion industry into a place that is not polluting environment, right? I think one of, after all these upgrades, one of the latest upgrades that is coming up, and we're in the leather industry. So, one of the latest upgrades that are coming up in the leather industry is a thing called biodegradable leather. So, I'm talking about a material that looks like leather, but if you put it on the ground, it disappears. And Moses right now, he has worked and he has partners where we have couple really sustainable fabrics as well. So I'm talking about the very material of these products we created in a way that's good for the environment. That I think is a solution that really tackles the problem head on. Because now we're talking about the exact product itself. You know, which is if it's biodegradable, if we can advance our, you know, upgrades towards that level, then we are talking about a game changer feature. So let's talk about profits because I know you guys know about the sweatshops and everything like that and, and everything, right? They always say follow the money. And if, uh, you know, uh, you know, the fashion industry, right, we're all wearing clothes. Like everyone is buying clothes every, you know, like pretty regularly. So because people, you know, grow. And so um, this idea of like sweatshops and this idea of exploita exploitation is all based around money. So for you guys, how do you guys fight this? You know, um, as a, as a company, you know, this, this temptation that's there for manufacturers, right. To pursue profit because most of the exploitation happens from, right. You know, people not getting their full wages, people trying to exploit, you know, uh, companies that are bringing abuse because they can do services for cheaper. You know, how do you guys fight? How do you guys even have a fighting chance, you know, um, to compete in a market where people are always trying to find the cheapest, you know, manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. While you guys are trying so, to also pay your people. Growing up, I heard a quote that kind of influenced the way I think. It said, if you cannot be the first in a race, just make a new race and be first in that. And what I mean by that is the world, in the fashion world in which many of these companies try to go for industries that will give them cheap prices and they can maximize that in that race, there are a bunch of people who are going to run and now they're on the last leg of it. Because yes, the world right now is awake to the current problems, but COVID has increased and fast forwarded the message that the world needs to be aware of these problems. And the world needs to be aware of human health and of the health of the environment. So here's how we tackle the problem. We do not work with those brands. There is a shift. So the vegan industry, the sustainable industry for fashion, you know, there's a shift and brands have to, because of the public 
demand brands have to turn into a sustainable thing and by 2025 there are a couple of statistics out there but by, but by 2025 the general statistics is it's going to increase 49% which would amount to around 850 million dollars so the, sig- the significance of the market is growing and it is growing in a good state so what we simply do is fair trade manufacturers go find fair trade brands fair trade brands have fair trade details an audience that is willing to purchase understands it sticks with them and once you realize that the quality is not really different, once you realize the the product itself holds so much more reality to it, so much more, you know, uh, ha- the handmade thing in itself just adds so much flavor to it. Once you taste it, you kind of don't go back. So the best case here is because we cannot tackle something that's so cutthroat. So we stick with our standards. We work with people with those standards and we are creating this culture. This is the future. This is where everyone's going to come because they need to come. Uh, the world's not getting going to tolerate such behavior for a long time, right? The shift is happening. Numbers are proving it. So that is what we're doing. We're just sticking with our group of sterile companies. Thanks. Yeah. So um, the challenges are that, I mean, there is a challenge, you know, that, we are, when we are competing with someone who can, you know, give a price that is, you know, 50%, 100% cheaper. So there is, there is like the major segment of the market is buying those products. But how we deal with that is, as Joseph said, that, you know, we stick with our boundary and in, in our market, like, for example, there is a market for fair trade products and there is a market, there is... There are consumers who understand uh, fashion industry and they understand that it's important where your clothes come from and how they are made and how are the people treated. So the way we deal with this is, like the way we want to deal with this is we stick to this market of fair trade, uh, only deal with customers who, you know, uh, know the value of a true fashion product, you know, who know the true cost who know the true price and uh, yeah, we partner with them. And apart from that, like there is, of course, we want more and more consumers to know about, you know, about the, about the clothes that they consume, like consumers need to know. I think that the the major change would only be then because as long as there's going to be a demand for cheap clothes, like everyone's going to buy cheap clothes. But if, if the people understand that, you know, in the long run, this is not sustainable and it's harming them, like the future generations or uh, people around the world. Like people might not want to have that on their conscience, like doing something wrong like that. So I think consumer education also is very important. Um, but yeah, those are the ways we tackle it. And uh, yeah, that's our goal. Man, that's like, I've never even thought about that idea of consumer education. That's like a good idea. Um so is Saladi, like, are you guys looking to do that, like, in a more focused way? What does that look like to actually tackle the whole, like, was like, everyone is your target audience because all of us wear clothes. So how do you plan on doing that? How do you do that, Moses? Um, yeah, I mean, currently that's, like, it is definitely there in the future that, you know, you want to, 
target, like have a specific approach to like, you know, educating consumers. Right now, we are just trying to get a grip of, uh, we're trying to get a grip in the fair trade market. Like we are getting fair trade certified this year. We are getting world fair trade certified this year. So like we're trying to get, you know, get more hold of the market and uh, be a part of the change that is already taking place. But I mean, when it comes, once we get a grip of that and we are in the network of the fair trade organization, I think from there on out, you know, we can always have like in the, in the future, if you're asking about the long term vision, then there are a lot of marketing campaigns that are going to be done, you know, uh, about making being sustainable cool and making being ethical is the new way of doing things and the right way of doing things. So, yeah. For now, we are, for the next three years, we are embedding ourselves in the vegan sustainable market, understanding what it lacks, so we know exactly what to provide. You know, So when we provide, we don't want to provide things that are already being provided. We want to really understand what the market lacks, what it needs. So this is a new market, this is an emerging market, and then come up with what it really needs. So, yeah. So tell me more about that, because maybe for some of our listeners, we don't know what that means. What what is vegan? What like uh, I know vegan. Like if someone says I'm a vegan, I know what they don't eat. But like when you say the vegan market, are you? I don't understand in the fashion what the vegan so, market yeah, has to I do mean, with the fashion industry. Of vegan, we are actually speaking of the leather because leather is kind of like a uh, majority of what we do. So leather is made by animals. So when we are saying vegan, we are basically mean to say that it is free of animals. And that's what it means. Uh, but it does, vegan wouldn't go for the same thing for clothes. Like your clothes are always vegan because they, they don't involve animals. But uh, when we're talking about vegan right now, we're talking about the leather industry. So vegan is basically anything that is not made from animals. But it also means that it could be it is it could be plant based. For example, right now we are exploring into certain leathers, and these leathers are made from mushrooms. These leathers are made from tomatoes, from mangoes, from coconut water. So the very raw material, you know, like for example, uh, the leather industry is a very polluting industry, and. Uh, uh, Cultivating cows produces a lot of methane and a lot of CO2. So you're you're eliminating all of those things when you are using vegan leather. And also there is a lot of chemical process that it, it goes to, you know, process the leather hide into a wearable leather jacket. There's a lot of chemicals that go into that process. So in vegan leather, you don't, you know, you don't use that those chemicals. So in that way, it is not polluting the water and there is no CO2 em emissions. So that way you're being sustainable. So that's what we mean when we say vegan. Shoot. This is amazing. Um, we have about a minute left in this section, but I'm excited to have you guys back again and talk about this because this is mind-blowing. I've never heard of such a thing. Making leather from tomatoes. It is, it is a fun thing, right? Yeah, it is. I'm pretty excited about it. What? 
Dude, so um, like my last question just for you to kind of like um, bring kind of closure to this conversation as far as like ethical manufacturers, like what would you say? Are there a lot of ethical manufacturers out there or are you guys kind of, I would say like a minority in the field, like uh, for people who have never even heard of these things you're talking about, vegan leather, like people caring about their workers, like, are you guys rare as you guys, are, as, as, cause you guys said that you want to partner with people who are also ethical manufacturers. So how hard is it for you guys to remain true to your principles? So I will say this is how we are there. Now it is an emerging market. People are trying to come up and win the day school, which, which manufacturer will give the best sustainable products, the best solutions like tomato leather this is a very innovative method of you know going against fashion so it's a race that we're trying to win however saladi spent around over a decade building relationships building a community and now the community is very strong especially after covid so now we're able to push our focus only towards fashion with our community and, our, and we have the you know hands of our community behind us so to answer the question, I would say, you know, we already set, set in a way that we can, you know, jump into this sustainable thing, jump into this thing completely without really, you know, have, we have the hands of our artisans. We've gone through the tough part. So otherwise, you can find a manufacturer that can give you very good products, but they will give a cheap price. This is China. They will abuse their workers. You can find manufacturers that are going to try to love their workers but their products won't be good. So this is where Saladi comes in a very good place because we've developed a decade of making products good and now we can come and do sustainable good. So now I would say it's rare. It's rare to find manufacturers that do both well. This is a limited thing. So yeah, it is a race. And the one who wins first, the one who gets the best innovation in sustainable material would probably get most of the market that's coming up. So yeah, we're definitely very rare and there is like, if I was to ask you, who do you know, like people, consumers aren't really even aware of ethical manufacturing and you know, not every, like people are starting to get aware about sweatshops and you know, unfair pay, but honestly, we still consume Nike, we still consume Zara, H&M and all these People, they don't really pay their employees that well. And a point that I want to add to when uh, previously you asked about profit. Honestly, we can make profit by paying our employees fair. It is these companies who are not paying their companies fair. It's not that they're making a profit. They're making thousand times margins on their product. So it's not like, like those guys are making way more money than they should be because they're being unethical does not mean that we can't make money ethically. So I want people to know that you can be in the ethical business and make money, good money, fair profits, fair margins while paying your, uh, while paying your artisans fair. So there isn't, I don't want people to think that if you have a business where you're paying fair, you are not going to make any money. You're going to make money. You're going to make fair, decent profit margins, but people who aren't paying their, artisans good amount of money they are making you know ton like more money than they need it's just unwanted it's just unneeded greed you know like god knows what they're going to do with that money but yeah 
So yeah, we're definitely there, and honestly, we want to be the number one ethical leather accessories manufacturer. Like we want to do this one thing right. Like we want to do leather accessories, and we want to do it ethically, and we want to do it sustainably, and we want to be like you know, a, we want to be like an inspiration for other businesses to you know adopt this kind of business model. So yeah, it's, it's rare, but it's gonna happen. That's amazing. There is definitely you know, it's, it, there's a scope. For I it love it. Explore. Man, I love it. I love it, guys. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I'm excited to have you guys back because I want to talk more about Salati, you know, enterprises and what you guys are doing. I uh, really want you guys to even share a little bit about your mother's story because I think it's so inspirational. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys so much for having uh, having us. You know, we're excited uh, for you guys and what you guys are doing. I think you guys are so courageous to take on this big monster uh, the industry, uh, because it's, and I'm sure it's tough, you know? Um, yeah. But, uh, without further, uh, ado, <laughs> I'll see you guys. Thank you. See you, man. See you. Thank you.